Hello, and welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano. This is our third and final Death trade paperback. Death in the Atomic Age. Yes, I know that the Amazing Adult Fantasy issue came out in the early 60s, so that's the Silver Age. But calling it Death in the Atomic and Silver Ages is just too long a title. And if I had to pick just one of them, well, Atomic Age just sounds cooler. To me, at least. Anyway, this episode represents material that originally was released in episodes 70 and 133, and guest stars Ryan Daly from the Fire and Water Network. The timing's nice on that because Ryan just had me guess on his Cheers cast show that came out on October 7th, covering season 4, episode 15. Check the show notes for the link. Alright, that's enough rambling. Let's get on with the story from Strange Tales number 3. Strange Tales, number three. She's in the second story, The Man Who Never Was. Writer is unknown. Penciler, John Romita Sr. Inked by Les Zacharin. The colorist and letterer are both unknown. Edited by Stan Lee. Cover art by Carl Burgos and Don Rico. And had a cover date of October 1951. And an on-sale date of June 8th, 1951 with a cover price of $0.10. Cents. And if you want to read this story, you can find it reprinted in Marvel Masterworks Atlas Era Strange Tales Hardcover Volume 1 and digitally on Comixology and Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. This is the story of three men, Roger, Jerry, and Paul, three friends from college. One day, Roger received a call from Jerry that it's urgent they meet right away. They meet at Casey's for food and drinks a place they must frequent a lot because Casey knows them both by name. There, Jerry tries to convince Roger that Paul has disappeared. The problem is that Roger has no idea who Paul is. Jerry tells Roger his story. A few days earlier, Jerry was near Paul's house and decided to pop in to say hi. Paul tells him about an experiment he's doing in trying to prove the existence of death, not as a concept, but as an actual being. He wants to prove that death actually exists in a tangible form that can be detected. However, he is concerned that if he is right, why has no one ever done this before? He can only conclude that death must have done something to the others who had tried to prove the same thing. Now, Jerry just thinks Paul's overworked and tells him he'll just call him tomorrow for lunch and talk to him and see if he's feeling a little better. In the middle of the night, Jerry receives a frantic call from Paul that death is there. Jerry goes to Paul's house, but all he can find is an empty lot where the house once stood. He calls Paul's aunt, who raised him, but she has no idea who Paul is. He can find no one who once knew Paul, who now remembers him. Even a photograph of the three men in front of a tree now only shows Jerry and Roger. Now Roger has also forgotten Paul. For some reason, death has removed all traces of Paul from the earth, except from Jerry's mind. Roger does not believe him, thinking Jerry's having some kind of mental breakdown. Jerry goes to make a phone call, but doesn't come back. When Roger asks Casey if he saw where Jerry went, Casey has no idea who Jerry is. Roger then calls Jerry's work, but they don't know who he is either. When Roger goes back and looks at the photograph Jerry left, it now only shows Roger standing in front of the tree. Death has wiped out anyone who knew about its existence and Roger realizes he is next. 
Running from the restaurant, Roger can see death coming for him. And then he is gone, leaving behind only a photograph of a tree. At the end, it is revealed that the caption boxes in the story are not just descriptions, but a narrator telling us the story. A narrator who reveals itself only at the very end. Yes, death claimed the ones who knew too much. There were three of them, Paul, Jerry, and Roger. And now there are none. Who am I, you ask? And how do I know? Naturally, I know. Because I, who have told you the story, I am death. Well, that was interesting. Just a few things to say about this story. Uh, first of all, I find it funny that Paul's theory about, well, since no one has ever done this before, it must mean that death has done something to them. Yes, he didn't take for the possibility that no one has done this before because no one was able to do this. Or, of course, there's always the possibility of no one has done this before because maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I understand he's a scientist, I guess. I'm assuming he's a scientist. They, no point do they say he has a doctor, you know, call him doctor or say he's a doctor or anything or even say that's what he does. Maybe he's just a guy who does experiments. No, I'm not a scientist. So if anyone out there is a scientist, please tell me if I'm wrong. But I have to assume a scientist has to take into chance the possibility that their theory might be incorrect. Because otherwise, wouldn't they be guilty of maybe... I mean, wouldn't they be concerned about trying to have things fit to make their theory right? You know, the po accepting the possibility you could be wrong, I would assume, would make you more uh, balanced in what you're trying to do. But that's just me. Maybe I'm not wrong. Please, anyone out there who's a scientist... Tell me. I want to know. But besides that, I do enjoy the story. It's a fun little... Now, at this time, this is 1951, this is what they were doing. They were doing these little twist-ending stories or monster stories or whatever. But it's definitely a Twilight Zone-esque story. It makes me wonder if Bob Gale, who's a screenwriter for Back to the Future, because he has written some comics before, was he into comics then? Did he read this story? Because that's the first thing I thought of when... The whole thing about the photograph changing as time changed. Did, is that where this idea came from for Bob Gale? I did like how, like I said, I liked the story, though. I liked how Death kept screwing with the one person who knew. Paul told his friend. So I guess she could have just wiped Paul's memory from Jerry's mind, and that's it. But that does go with my theory that I said in the last supplemental and other episodes that Death really doesn't have a plan because death isn't trying to win. Death is going to win. Death's just trying to keep itself entertained. And this definitely was a bit of fun for death. Cruel, capricious, fun. Another reason why death sucks. Intolerable. Just intolerable. For three years, those casters of pods have thwarted my plans. I, Mephisto, simply don't know why I bother. Maybe some streaming will cheer me up. Let's see. Oh, my cue is a Brobdenagian shambles. These cartoons don't belong together. First, giant transforming robots, then colorful ponies. Bah, it's enough to drive one mad. I... Wait, that's it. That's how I'll conquer those casters. 
First, I'll drive them mad with the most insane, diabolical, cockeyed crossover comic ever! Finally, they will be mine! <laughs> Mephisto vs. The Podcasters 4, covering Transformers, My Little Pony, Friendship in Disguise. Yes, really. Featuring the Married with Comics Rod Pod podcast. Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. And the Outcasters, a Batman and the Outsiders podcast. Coming Halloween 2021. Autobots! My very best friends! Continuing on with our coverage of uh, appearances of death in the Marvel Universe. And as I said last time, I am not going to be alone doing these anymore because that is just too much of a pain for me to do. So this time I went over and did some hunting over at the Fire and Water Network and I dragged over Ryan Daly. How you doing, Ryan? Hi, Al. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, you know, when you were, I had you hogtied, really had no choice. <laughs> yeah, very much. <laughs> so this time we are talking about appearances death in Amazing Adult Fantasy number nine, which, yes, if you're used to it being called Amazing Fantasy, it is the same series that would eventually be retitled Amazing Fantasy and with issue, with issue 15 give us that little-known character, Spider-Man, Spider-Man, <laughs> something like that. I, I prefer Amazing Adult Fantasy because it gives you that little immaturist feeling, like the same thing when you get when you see Giant Size Man thing. Yes. It's still one of those things where it's like, of course they knew what they were doing when they published that. It also helps that this issue, the cover story, is the terror of Tim Booba. <laughs> Although, a real quick thing, I don't know, did you, have you ever read any of this series besides, well, the Spider-Man issue and this one, or no? I haven't, no, actually. I, I, I read this one and another story from, from this issue, but that's that's my limited exposure to the yeah. series. Now, it's been a couple of years since I read the whole thing, but I, it's since pretty much all of it's on Marvel Unlimited, I read it a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. It pretty much reads as Lee and Dicko doing, ver- mostly Dicko, probably, doing Vertigo like 30 years ago or 30 yeah. years earlier. Yeah, actually, I was I was surprised in just the, the few stories that I read. I did not get the usual Stan Lee Silver Age Marvel voice, the sort of inherent bombacity, or you know that it's that's that's so omnipresent with his style. I mean, it, it really reads. I mean, you you definitely see that Ditko is taking the reins and, and Lee's just sort of lettering and, and penciling over. But I mean, these this the story that we're talking about in particular. I would have pegged it as a House of Mystery, House of Secrets story from DC uh, of like a similar age or like 50s, early 60s or something like that. It just didn't necessarily feel like that same Marvel, you know, kind of house style. So, but yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, even like the way the the books laid out, like the the title page showing like each story in order, like use like a chapter page, and then the way they do the uh, the splash pages for each one, they're much more somber and like thought-provoking pages then you know here's a crazy thing that happens how does that how do they our heroes get out of this one exactly yeah if anyone has marvel especially if you have marvel unlimited and you've never dipped your toes especially if like you're not a big fan of silver age give this one a try even just a story or two it's Mm -hmm. it's an interesting one 
Yeah, it definitely reads differently than everything else that you would might associate with these creators. But, yes. Yeah. And one of the things since we're just talking about the issue itself, I was looking up some information. I just want to make sure I was, had the creators right and everything, but I knew it was Lee and Dicko, but I just wanted to double check, make sure I wasn't just assuming. According to comics.org, there is an ad on the end of the issue for a new series coming out called Fantastic Four. Hmm, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of fun. It is, yeah. All right, well, give us a second to give you a quick synopsis, and then Ryan and I will get into The Man Who Captured Death. The Man Who Captured Death. Writer, Stan Lee. Artist, Steve Ditko. Colors, Stan Goldberg. Letters, Artie Simic. Editor, Stan Lee. Cover art by Steve Ditko, Stan Goldberg, and Artie Simic. Cover dated February 1962. On sale date November 2nd. 1961. Cover price was 12 cents. You can find this story reprinted in Damon number 45, a 1969 Dutch reprint, Astonishing Tales number 21 from 1973, Leantendu number 15, a 1979 French reprint, The Amazing Fantasy Omnibus from 2007, and Creepy Worlds number 33, a UK reprint, not really sure the year was, but it's probably either 1976 or 1977. You can also find it digitally on Comixology and Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. An old man builds a machine to freeze death in his tracks, since he is unwilling to go when he has so much left to accomplish. With death removed from the picture, the earth becomes a shambles. Insects and microbes do not die, and the sick and injured gain no release from their suffering. The old man realizes how selfish he has been, and switches the machine off, joining death willingly. That was it. It's a quick synopsis, but it's a quick story. I mean, it's what, five pages and one of them is a splash, so. Yeah. <laughs> I liked it. Let's just do the basic part first. I like it. Um, I like it a little better than when Jim Shooter would redo it in like 25 years for Secret Wars 2 number 6. <laughs> I think that's the right issue. It, it is a, I mean... It, it is a story that has been done before, done other times, but I mean, just to to have Steve Ditko do it and to, to throw his spin on it, um, yeah, it's it's a fun story. It's it's really good. I just the two of them working together. I mean, I can always take more Lee and Ditko together, and yeah, just for like a fun like again, like I just I breezed through this and I was just thinking I was like, and maybe it's because you know I just I, I used to do a show called Midnight the Podcasting Hour on the Fire and Water Network, so I was very. I immersed myself for a couple of years in a lot of those DC horror anthology titles like uh, Tales of the Unexpected and, and Secrets of Sinister House, things like that. So getting into a story like this felt very of a piece. It kind of like felt like slipping on a warm shoe. But to have the, the, those Marvel creators doing it was just like a little interesting touch. But yeah, it's fun. Yeah, because we're used to like the Marvel monster titles. Mm-hmm. That they had beforehand. If you read any, of the, if anyone ever read any of those, which is basically just giant monster comes to Earth and somehow some scientist, somebody beats them in some smart way, right? And these are definitely a lot different than that. And there is an art to doing these short stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you have to do this whole beginning, middle, end, make you care, make you right. empathize, or at least can be invested in four pages. Right, and and basically, uh, almost always throw on one of those sort of O. Henry endings where you know the, there's a twist or there's some kind of shock or at, at least 
the protagonist, you know, what he thinks he wants isn't what he wants. And there's there's the twist and the reveal, which becomes basically the driving plot of it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is exactly what happens here. He thinks he does not want to die. But the thing is, it's just that it's not. It's, well, I mean, he didn't want to stop death. He just wanted to stop his own death, really. Right, right. Now, I mean, getting into some of the the real intricate details here of the, I guess it's page two, it's the first story page, that first panel, do you think maybe somebody in the bullpen challenged Stan Lee to see how many times he could use the word old in a single panel? (laughs) In a lonely old laboratory, in a lonely old house, it's a lonely old man with lonely old thoughts. It isn't fair. There's so much more I want to do, but I'm old, so very old. There's six olds. Six wow. olds in one panel. <laughs> this was the day that Stan Lee could not find where he put his, put his yeah, thesaurus. Yeah. So he, he really wants to know this guy is just about to die, and, and what other way to do it. So yeah, He's old, and yet look at his arms. That man is a bit ripped still. It's like it's, old Popeye. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's got if some, he, he became a scientist. <laughs> He's definitely got some life in him, yeah. I'm looking at that going, I wish I looked that good. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of nice in the fact that the guy learns the lesson, even though it's not that he got his wish. It wasn't that he, like I said, it wasn't that he wanted to stop death from everything. He just didn't want to stop his own death. But in stopping all of death, it gave him the respect, I guess, or the uh, understanding of the importance of it. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of funny to have in a comic considering how many how much of it is about comics especially marvel and dc are about bringing characters back to life always right but also i mean if he just wanted to prolong his own life and he wasn't thinking about the greater consequences his entire invention the whole thing hinges on the idea that death can take some kind of personified shape that can then be immobilized by this machine and the, like the electric ray that it shoots out. Like, yeah. so is it about, it's not about like him becoming immortal or finding some sort of like fountain youth or rejuvenate. He does actually have to physically stop whatever death is. And then, yeah, that's, I mean, the, the, the consequences that reverberate out from that is that if death can't do its job, Nothing can die. That means the insects that are, that plague this farm are are immune to the pesticides, so they wipe out this entire farm. That means you know the animals in nature won't die and go through their natural cycles, so they'll start overbreeding and taking over towns and cities. That means like germs and basically yeah, sick people infection. stay sick. Yeah, sick people will just stay sick but won't die, and. Presumably, like that, now the hospitals are being inundated and overcrowded by people who are in what would normally be fatal precarious, like uh, like diet, like life threatening injuries or illnesses, but can't die. And yeah, that's when the TV is just like the world just went to crap really quickly. We're all screwed. And, yeah. yeah, it's like um, and it, well, well, it wasn't the greatest series. They did, I thought they did cover this kind of part decently well. Uh, if you ever watched Torchwood Miracle Day. I'm, I'm familiar with Torchwood. I've never seen it, no. Yeah, that was the whole premise of that Miracle Day story. It's basically the same thing. Death just stops. Mm-hmm. And so, well, and, even, and again, like looking at the ways the story has been done, um, Neil Gaiman did this in one of his arcs on the Sandman. The first, um, well, it's technically the first issue, except in replace Dream with Death. Well, yeah, but well, but then he did it again in, ah, what story? I think I want to say it was like Season of Mists, 
when he goes to get his his girlfriend out of hell and Lucifer basically like locks the gates of hell. He's like, fine. Like, like he oh. basically, because he felt like Morpheus ripped him off. So he's like, okay, screw you. I'm, I'm quitting. And he bars the gates of hell. He like kicks everybody out and all of these old souls basically return to return to earth. And like, everybody's, that one. yeah, they're like, this is kind of a problem. We need hell. Somebody has to run this show. So, yeah. I forgot about that one. I have to go back and read Sandman one of these days. Yeah, I've never read the entire series. I've read handfuls of it, bits and pieces, but that story arc always left a left a mark on me. I thought that one was great. Yeah, yeah I never read the whole thing fully. I, I tried picking up when it became Vertigo, but it was too in the middle of any something already in a story already, and I was lost. And I did. I have read like the first three or four story arcs, but I just haven't had a chance to get back to it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, well, of course Neil Gaiman did it well. I mean, yeah. how often do we say, "Oh, Neil Gaiman really botched that up." Yeah. If it happens, I'll let you know. Yeah. We'll do a, we'll do a follow up. I, I don't know if I want to know. <laughs> Afternoon, everybody. Ryan! How's that baby treating you, Mr. Daly? Like Thanos snapping his fingers at my bank account. In that case, how about a beer on the house? Sure. Got to give my mouth something to do between podcasts. Say, Ryan, I don't get how you have so much time for podcasting. Doesn't your wife want you spending time with the baby? Would you? <laughs> Truth is, I think she's a little worried about how much time I'm spending with the kid, ever since his first words were Dagobah system. <laughs> now she wants me to go out and do something mature, something productive, and most of all, something lucrative that can support the family. So you're going to... Podcast about cheers, yeah. <laughs> That kid's not going to start college for 18 years. I got time. (laughs) Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Network. But yeah, so he gets to the end and now, like I said, he realizes the importance of death and releases death and lets it take him. But besides that now, so... We are using this, like I said, we are looking at this because, well, death is one of the big characters in the Adam Warlock and Thanos stories. I mean, it's, at least in the comic version, it's Thanos' reason for everything. Mm-hmm. You know, 95% of what he does is to uh, appease death or because death has asked him to. So as we're doing these oh, Golden Age stories beforehand and seeing how much it seems like death, and a lot of the times it does seem like death. I mean, granted, if you read Ryan any of these, those Golden Age stories I covered for that, Death only has like a one or two panel appearance, and it's just Death laughing maniacally at something bad happening and people dying. But to me, that kind of fits in with the Marvel Universe Death. I mean, this is a character that brought Thanos back because it said, there's too many people alive. We need to kill a whole bunch of them at once. <laughs> you know, I, I need more. You know, it's almost like a Doctor Doom version, a supervillain of Death. It's like, I know I'm going to get everyone eventually, but I don't have enough now. I want more. <laughs> <laughs> this one doesn't I mean, at least to me does not feel like the same death this is more to me like going along with what we just said the deaths from the dc from the endless yeah yeah definitely this uh, i mean almost almost down to like the design i mean part of it the way the way ditko crafts this one is just like this black shape coming out of the the shadows but wearing like like kind of it would almost be like a skin tart, like black leotard or something. It reminds me of like a French, like Phantomus type of character or the shadow thief. 
mm. um, from DC, something along those lines. Or uh, obviously the, the one that should have jumped to me was um, The Shade um, from like Starman oh, yeah. or something like that. Um, you do see a little bit of his face and his hands, but just like the spindly little wraith character. It's just, it's such a simplistic design, but I love it. I love how effective it is. But yeah, his his whole mannerism, his whole like, like very very sort of natural kind of like uh, I don't want to say human state but he does kind of have that kind of effect so yeah this this does not remind me of Marvel's death the way Jim Starlin or anybody else you know before or after really conceived of that entity uh, this feels something very very different yeah this is a death that understands its place in the system and just knows I have a place and I'm important and that's why I'm here not I'm taking joy and pleasure out of doing this. Right. Almost a, a sort of functional, functionary type of thing. Yeah, I'm important. And again, like I said, that's what he Neil Gaiman does. I mean, yeah. that whole issue, of, was it issue eight, where we go along with death, collecting old people and infants even, and there's no joy or anything in it. It's not like death is going, ooh, you don't have a life now, ha-ha. Right. Oh, I, yeah, my favorite line from, from the Sandman was uh, a guy who said, you know, I, I I can't die right now. I didn't live long enough. I'd need more time. And Death just says you got that you got the same amount of time as anybody. You got a lifetime. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. The first thing that's one of the first things I think of when Death is mentioned or people say something like that. That line always stayed with me. This definitely, I would say, is not Marvel canon, so to speak. Right. <laughs> death. This is definitely a different type of death. But, yeah, again, an interesting one, and I do like the design, and I do like the fact that he didn't go with the traditional purplish, blackish cloak with a skeleton underneath, mm-hmm. which is what everyone had been doing before that. Yeah. At least in the comics, the Marvel, the Marvel or Timely comics I've been covering. Yeah. I love the final panel when Death is walking the old man away, and they're kind of, like, going off. Like, but once he resigns himself to, I can't do this, he, he has to shut the machine off, and, and he has to die, basically, for the sake of putting the world back the way it needs to be, like saving everything. Uh, and just as death is walking him to the beyond or wherever they're going, just the way the cape is sort of flowering, like flowering out um, asymmetrically, to me, it, well, this weird, it, it, and again, there's another DC comparison. It reminds me of like a Jim Aparo Phantom Stranger like mm. type of cape flourish or something like that, um, which again is putting this firmly in that across the street, not like Marvel house style or something. And maybe it's just because I don't recall Steve Ditko doing a lot of, well, Dr. Strange, but I don't think he ever, I don't remember Ditko ever drawing Dr. Strange's cape necessarily like that, but I don't know. I, I don't recall that. I don't, that doesn't sound familiar to me. I mean, I haven't read all of them, but I, from the images I remember seeing, can remember seeing, I don't remember anything like that. It was just kind of more like a, he has a cape and that's it. Yeah. You know, it allows him to fly, but it doesn't do anything special. I mean, not until the movies, at least. Right. That and the fact that death has no, like, uh, no emotional thing about him doing this. There's no anger or vengeance here. Yeah. Again, very mechanical, very functional. Just, it is what it is. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. The last thing, like, I mean, what did you think of the the colors in this? Now, obviously, reading it on Marvel Unlimited, it's they they really kind of oh yeah, uh, you know, enhance enhance the color palette. But I I loved it. I loved the way like the colors popped. Everything from the like the title page on this one, like the, that little thing, um, with the man who captured death with three lines: this red, orange, yellow fading. And then the man himself kind of all in green and he's standing on a blue floor. And then the, the death is just in this black in between that whole little rainbow effect, kind of like, a, or like, um, 
God, it's like the, almost like a like a Roigy Biff thing, like kind of like a, a TV screen or something like that when the cable yeah. used to go out when that was a thing. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about that part. Yeah, and I, I mean, I did notice that Death always seems to have like his own little glow, like he's the, mm-hmm. um, what is that? Oh, which one is that? That's the uh, the fire in his head. The Ghost of Christmas Past. Right. From right. A Christmas Carol, where he has his own flame that, that on, on the top of his head that like is always flickering. Mm-hmm. And Death has his own little light. It's almost like he carries his own little nightlight with him. But yeah, no, the like I said, I've never obviously read this in the original. I don't have that, so I have no idea what they look, how much they change the colors. But this is definitely a time of the, the coloring redo. I think worked. These colors pop. I feel like the colors go with it. Like that one page two when the guy's sitting there saying, and alone in his chair saying, "I'm so very weary," and it's just this blue, almost like nothing. This background. I mean, in fact, the stuff, the bookcase in the back is kind of like fading into the blue. Almost like there's nothing there. Like, I guess like, yeah. he is dying and like the world's going away. Yeah. And yeah, the, the man himself cast in green in a lot of them. And then at the end in the last one, when on the second second panel, that last page, when we get the close up of him looking at the TV saying, what have I done? And he's all in red. And gosh, Ditko, the expression on the faces, the way he just, I mean, it, it's, it's. It's so easy to kind of like forget because of like the way, you know, what Jack Kirby brought to the Marvel Universe. But Ditko really did do something amazing with like the the character that he put into faces because this guy, I, I thought of bald guys like, OK, is he sort of like the vulture? No, he doesn't look like the way Ditko drew the vulture or the puppet master or anything like that. He is something very different, very unique. Um, doesn't have a chin to speak of in that. Panel. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's but, so yeah. much like sadness and, and weariness in that face. It's, yeah, no, I, I've said before, Kirby brought the excitement and the explosive action. Mm-hmm. And for books that like Thor or Fantastic Four, that was perfect. But Ditko is great with emotion, yeah. especially like regret or insanity. Yeah. And, Shame, guilt. Yeah, yeah. And that is perfect. For a character like Spider-Man. Right, which is a soap opera and melodrama and things like that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a, the main character, his whole reason for doing everything is regret. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's yeah. part of his DNA you have, as a superhero is that he regrets what he did, his not taking action, and that's why he takes action. At the time, especially, yeah, no one, for the emotion like that, no one better than Dicko. Right, right. All right, well, anything else on this? No, um, I'm, I... Gosh, I, I don't know. I probably never would have read this because I'd never really had much interest in looking at the amazing adult fantasy series before before Spider-Man. But I'm glad I did. And and I'm yeah, if I'm ever bored, I might just pick up one of these and just kind of like look at some of these early Ditko and Lee, you know, kind of as we said, sort of Vertigo-esque House of Mystery yeah. style just uh, anthology stories. Because the, the, the two that I read in this issue were a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, for readers if, or listeners, if anybody wants just something like that, I mean, they, they, yeah, this was just a choice. When I read it, it takes like 30 seconds to read the story. So. Yeah, they're, they're fast. I mean, some of those silver stories can drag on. Some of them can, but this one Even if they're only like five pages, but these, yeah, they, you shoot through these. So even if you like, you just read one or two stories, yeah. you'll be done in five minutes, tops. Yeah. And that's some, if of you take short, time some of them are like two pages with a title, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Uh, no, yeah, thank you for inviting me on this, because this no. was a fun, just kind of looking at the story, and this was thinking about this version of Death, and who knows, maybe this this iteration of Death might make a reappearance someday. Yeah, I'll have to keep an eye out to see if anything seems similar to this. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. Uh, actually, well, I'm trying to. I mean, but, God, is there a, is there a Marvel character who sort of looks like this one? I want to say somebody despair. It, or it does look like a bit like despair. Okay. Yeah. He was so, a man thing villain, but the only time I remember reading him, besides I think I, in an issue of Ohatmu, was Uncanny X Men. I want to say 144. Something like that. Okay. It's Cyclops and I think Man Thing against Despair. It's somewhere I... in that time period of around X Men, shortly after Jean Grey's death, or Phoenix's death, I should say. I'm thinking I I first met Despair in a Ghost Rider comic, but maybe I'm thinking of a different character. I'd have to look it up. But anyway, yeah, it's <laughs> one of those mystical characters, so it's possible it could have been there too. Yeah. I just remember from the X-Men book because it was just a weird issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it was somewhere in that time period, somewhere shortly after Phoenix died before he rejoined at 150. So it's in the 140s somewhere, I think. But yeah, it does. Actually, I didn't think about that. But yeah, it does look a bit like Despair. Huh. I wonder if that was something that was an influence. Never know. Hard to tell. No, I'm glad I had you on for this one even more so. I didn't even, you know what, when I invited you to be on here, it was just because I realized I was actually listening to some Cheers casts. I was catching up and finishing up season three of that and got, you know, past the end where I was on. I'm like, he's had me on twice and on the flowers and fish, fish nets. And it's like, I haven't had him on yet. I got to fix that. So this <laughs> is the next thing that came up. That, that's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, yeah, I've been on his show before. I was like, no, actually, we talk, when we talked Gamora, that was for one of my shows. Yeah, and I realized, I'm like, you know what, I haven't, like, I, I realized that too. Like, I had the same thought. I'm like, you know what, I have to have Ryan on, so this is the next thing that popped up. It wasn't until after I reread it again and went, you know, this really fits in with, like, the midnight, the podcasting hour type of sh- stories he did. I'm like, mm-hmm. ah, it's an even better reason to have him on. But, mm-hmm. you know, you already said yes, so let's <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, well, speaking of shows that don't exist anymore why don't you tell people about some shows you do that do exist still yeah yeah Uh, if anybody wants to hear more from me you can find me on the fire and water podcast where i host as i mentioned uh cheers cast which is my index show of my favorite tv sitcom cheers at the time of this recording i am starting to do the prep work to launch season four uh, that should be that should start in about a month or so. Uh, I also do Fire and Water Records, which is a music anthology show uh, that I host with my brother or other guests, where we talk about the entire history of a certain band, or just list our favorite songs by a certain band, or a collection of different groups based on any type of theme. Uh, the anthological format just kind of lends that up to a lot of possibilities. I also do a Batman Nightcast podcast covering Batman comics with Chris. Franklin, give me those Star Wars comes out every once in a while, which is just me talking about Star Wars. Uh, and yeah, you can hear some of my older podcasts, such as Secret Origins, uh, Midnight of Podcasting Hour, Power of Fishnets, things that I don't do anymore that are either on hiatus or all done and canceled. But yeah, you can find me Fire and Water Podcast Network. Yeah, unless you get another interview with Roy Thomas. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> All right, well, links for all his stuff, or at least the current things, and probably some of the old stuff, too, will be in the show notes, so go ahead, click on that, and check them out. It's feedback time again, and this time we're talking about feedback from episode 139. That was our first Death in the Golden Age trade paperback episode, which we covered the Vision and Angel stories from Marvel Mystery Comics number 21, and the Namor vs. the Human Torch story from Human Torch number 5B. And on that episode, the post about it got likes and shares on Facebook from Joe Sedano, Pat Sampson, 
Jonathan Schaefer-Hames, Gene Hendricks, and Ruth Sutherland. On Twitter, we got likes and retweets from Doc Strange, Last Sons of Krypton, Connor McKenna, Viet Wynn, Toys and Sometimes Jokes, Capes and Lunatics, David Finn, Jason Snake Venable, Jeffrey Brown, parentheses, they slash them, Into the Night, Fully Vaccinated Elf, King Dinosaur, Sergio Lambertini, I Am Iron Fist, Bill, Serpent Comics, and Dear Watchers, a What If Comics podcast. Remember, if you still want to hear more from me, for some strange reason, you can find me pretty much every week on the L-E-G-I-O-N-P-O-D cast. That's where we cover the DC Comics late 80s, early 90s sci-fi series Legion. That's the one with an acronym and Lobo in it. And you can find that on the Legion of Substitute Podcasters feed. I also guest starred recently on Ryan Daly's Cheers cast, where we talked about Season 4, Episode 15 of the show Cheers, The Triangle, which I thought was a really great episode. Links to both of those will be in the show notes. Now don't forget, you want to hear your name said here, or you have a comment you want to tell me and you want to hear me talk about it on the show? Well, send us an email, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. You can like and share stuff from our other social media. On Facebook, just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos in the search box. It'll pop up. Go to our Tumblr page, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com, or on Twitter, at AdamThanosPod. And before I go, don't forget, this show is part of The Collective. The Collective is a podcast network in which we get together in really the most basic sense of a network. We're there to mostly share ideas of each other, support each other, retweet and share each other's episodes, and in fact, you're going to hear a promo for one of the Collective shows right now. Hey there, everyone. I'd like to tell you about the YouTube channel I Am Your Target Demographic. If you're a fan of comics, we have plenty that you'll enjoy over there, including a series called Heroes Like Us that explores comic characters of all sorts of different identities. And we even have a series that defines words that are used in nerd culture that you may not know what they mean. So you can check us out by heading to YouTube and searching I Am Your Target Demographic or look up IAYTD on any social media outlet. Well, that's it for our Death in the Fill-in-the-Blank Age Trade episodes. Thanks to all of you who listened for indulging me here. Like I said at the beginning of the first episode, was this really necessary? Probably not. But it had been bothering me for the longest time that these were done out of order, and now they're not. Going forward with the supplemental episodes, I have worked out the order more extensively, so these types of episodes should not be needed again. Before we go, don't forget that our next episode will be part of our annual Mephisto vs. the Podcasters crossover. So before you listen to it, you should check out the episode of Married Watching Cartoons, or Married with Comics, depends how it comes up in your podcatcher. Either way, the episode that, of theirs that comes out on October 28th. Then the October 29th episode of Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. And then ours, which will be out on the 30th. And then you can follow that up with the Outcasters on Halloween itself. Obviously. Alright, well, until then, bye. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended, or happening, or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, 
and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. Death has wiped out anyone who knew of its. Death has wiped out anyone who knew of its existence. Try again. Death has wiped out anyone who knew of its. Death has wiped out anyone who knew of its. Death has wiped out anyone who knew of its. Death has wiped out anyone who knew about its. It's. Can't say that, Jesus. Death has wiped out anyone who knew about its. Its. Death has wiped out anyone who knew about its existence.